Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on The Rundown. Okay, welcome everyone to episode seven of the Rust Belt Rundown. I am your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Chris Schmidt. He is the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships for the National Association of Manufacturers. Chris, thank you so much for coming on, man. How are we doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me so much today. I'm excited to talk about manufacturing. Yeah, we are as well. And, and I know you're in the middle of a move, like you mentioned before we started recording. So thank you. Uh, the background looks great. Shout out to Cleveland as always. Um, but before we get into it, you have a very interesting journey. We would love to hear how you arrived at the National Association of Manufacturers. And, and first, could you share a bit about your professional background and experience? You bet. Uh, so I'm a first generation college kid uh, that went off to Hiram College here in Northeast Ohio uh, to start my education career uh, in 2000. I met a girl who was going to Kent State and wound up staying in Cleveland. So that was not my plan, but I'm really glad I did because it's been a pretty awesome 20 years uh, in the in the city up here or in the region, I should say. Um, knew I wanted to do something after Hiram, so went to grad school at Case Western. Uh, did the law degree and a business degree at Case, uh, graduated in the first once-in-a-lifetime uh, recession of our era uh, during 2009, so I had to get a little creative, uh, joined a three-person marketing agency and uh, had a lot of fun doing that because I, I had a family at the time. I had to do something, and so whereas a lot of my cl- uh, classmates and colleagues just uh, waited for the economy to pick up again, um, I, I went out and uh, found a job that was going to work for me. Um, making very little money and working way too many hours, but it was something productive. And so it was great to be able to help build that business. Uh, got hired away by one of my manufacturing clients. Uh, got lucky in the fact that we built up a lot of manufacturing clients uh, in the process, but uh, they hired me away to work in Lake County for a $30 million manufacturer. Um, got headhunted away to work for a $600 million manufacturer in Erico. Um, they got bought by an $8 billion uh, manufacturing company in 2015. <laughs> and so uh, I got the, the, joy, the joyous experience of going from literally three people and a dog uh, to one of 30,000 employees at a global conglomerate in about six years. Wow. Um, so it was a wild ride up, but I also knew that being a part of a 30,000 person company wasn't the long-term future. And so I uh, looked for an opportunity to go, go back down scale to have a lot of impact, but also to do some innovative things. I made friends with folks at the NAM over the course of my, uh, my career in manufacturing seven or eight years that I was in the manufacturing sector. And uh, uh, the opportunity came along to help them grow a, a new group within the company. And so it's been, it's been a lot of fun for the three years that I've been there and uh, lots of growth on the horizon. Awesome. Love it. So then let's dive into your role as Vice President of Strategic Partnerships. I imagine uh, that stretches fairly far. What does your role entail? Sure. So I get to work with uh, our members and then with people who we call as as part of the manufacturing economy. 
So uh, not only people who make things in America, but also things like law firms and consulting firms and uh, accounting firms and whatnot, people who are involved in things that we are doing in the country as, uh, as manufacturers. And so um, that allows me to work with folks who want to market to other manufacturers. So using our network to market. Um, but it also allows me to work with great nonprofits, the Boys and Girls Clubs and First Robotics and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and all of those great partners that have people that are interested in careers in manufacturing down the road or could be interested in careers down the road um, and allow me to make those connections. My, my favorite day of the year is Manufacturing Day, so the first Friday of October. Yeah. Um, in a typical non-pandemic year, uh, it involves 300,000 kids going to manufacturing plants across the country to see what a future could look like. Um, this year was a little different, but we have uh, some range of 150,000 people join us for a couple of signature digital events with partners like Walmart and with BTC and with Rockwell and with Microsoft and people that really want to help tell that story that manufacturing is not the dark, dirty, dangerous um, that they think of when they consider manufacturing, but really it's, it's innovation and it's robotics and it's for kids who love coding and programming and video games. Boy, do we have jobs for you. It's, it's something that uh, we, we really want to help tell that story. And so my role is great because I get to kind of sit, sit above the programmatic level and really focus on how do we bring in the right partners to, uh, to connect the dots between opportunities and, uh, and, and the people who can benefit from them. Yeah, that's, that's so important because I think you, we, we had Tate Lutz um, a couple episodes ago, and, and she mentioned the same thing. It's just educating the youth on the new things available in manufacturing. I think there's, um, stigma is the wrong word, but there's just an association with the word manufacturing. And you just think, oh, are, do you build cars? What do you build? You know, like there's just this this um, thought process when it uh, when you bring that word up and there's just so much more to it. So that's that's such important work. And, and we had a, uh, a survey that I love to cite uh, with Deloitte from several years ago as part of Manufacturing Day. Uh, 80% of our respondents said that manufacturing was important for the future of America but only 20% would recommend that their own children go into manufacturing. And so that, that delta is really telling, right? It's the people know manufacturing means something. People know it's good to have things made here, uh, but they ultimately think it's, it's work for somebody else. And so that's our biggest challenge. And uh, our Creators One program, which I think we'll talk about later, is, is so focused on how do we change that delta? How do we make sure that people understand that? Um, your child becoming an engineer, your child becoming a computer programming, your child going into sales, whatever it may be in the manufacturing sector is a great way uh, to have a career and uh, support a family. And so I, I'm lucky I grew up in a manufacturing household. Uh, grandpa was an electrician. The other grandpa was a master pressman for a newspaper. And my dad has worked for Owens Corning Fiberglass for 47 years, something like that. Um, and so growing up around manufacturing, I think I saw the value um, but now we need to get people who grew up in the city away from manufacturers, uh, understanding that there's, uh, there's such great opportunity uh, for them as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, okay, so what are some of the key goals of strategic partnerships uh, for you? You know, what, what are the, the biggest weighing responsibilities? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in lifting all the ships, right? It's the, if we can do the right things, on the thought leadership side, if we can get the right connections and the right people uh, sharing the right information, that we can make manufacturing as a sector stronger. Um, of course, we like to help individual companies. Of course, we have to work with individual sponsors, but really the goal is how do we make the uh, R14,000 member companies and how do we make the manufacturing economy of 12 and a half million men and women stronger? How do we make it better for everybody? 
because when you see that safety goes up, wages goes up, uh, productivity goes up, all of those things that um, we are able to focus on as, a, as an entire sector, conversations that we're leading around the Internet of Things, around cybersecurity, around sustainability, around supply chain improvements, all of those things lead into the manufacturing sector being stronger. And ultimately, that's what we try to do. We're, we're pretty lucky in, uh, in who we have as members. We represent about 85% of the manufacturing GDP in the, in the United States. Um, and so that, in terms of a collection of people, we're so lucky to have that sort of a, uh, a force of will if you will, but it also provides us an, an incredible opportunity and an incredible responsibility uh, to be able to use that platform to, uh, to make the industry better. Got it. Um, you mentioned that manufacturing is, is in your family. You've also had a ton of experience in it yourself. I, I wanted to reference a, a quote of yours because I think this spans across all industries, but um, the quote is, getting to see manufacturers from the inside or joining the trade association space was one of the most meaningful moments in my career. Understanding what these companies do gave me a whole new level of respect. Um, I want to break that <clears throat> that quote down because sure. I think it's just so important for all industries. But why was that so important for you in the manufacturing space specifically? Absolutely, I think um, DC uh, inside the Beltway, uh, there's there's a bubble effect. There's no doubt about it. Um, there's a lot of people that come and go in, in the trade association world that may go from the hill to an association to another association, to private industry, to back of an association. And um, they, they, uh, there's a different um, eye level set, if that makes sense, yep. that they see things as these are businesses that make uh, certain things and they make money and whatever, whatever it may be. Um, but a lot of associations, they don't have a chance to go in and put on the steel toe boots and be able to get out into the real workforce and understand what's going on. Um, having an office that was literally inside the plant at my last job at Erico um, gave me a chance that every single day I was interacting with the people who were, who were making things, to interact with the people who were running the machines, interact with people who were running the warehouse, that were doing testing down the way, uh, whatever it may be, because it gave you a, a completely different perspective than being in an office in D.C., um, thinking about, oh, manufacturing is something that's an ethereal. I know I buy things that someone made somewhere, but that's the connection. Um, actually learning how to uh, learning how to weld and actually learning how to drive a forklift and learning how to uh, pack boxes the right way gives you a whole different perspective on uh, sharing information around the industry. And I, I, I love to tell the story that when I went in for my job interview at the NAM, um, the CEO said, well, you're fresh out of manufacturing, right? I said, yeah, and it really wasn't intended to be a party trick, but I had steel toes in my dress shoes and I had three pairs of safety glasses uh, either in my pockets or in my bag. And that wasn't a, hey, look at me, I'm the manufacturing guy, but it was just a, that had become my daily life for seven, uh, seven and a half years. Eight years. Uh, yep. And so give me the chance to be able to uh, connect with people in the manufacturing sector, I think in a different way. And so that's something I will always have uh, on my background and in terms of um, direct experience, as long as I'm in the industry, I, I wouldn't trade the ability to, to put on safety glasses and go out on the shop floor uh, with anything else. Yeah, yeah. You, can re you can really speak the language versus the people that you were referencing that maybe have just seen it from a, a higher level and haven't really gotten their hands dirty, um, literally. Yeah, and um, the ability to, um, I think, uh, Rust Belt, uh, whether it's a uh, pejorative or not, I think it's great also to be from Ohio. That's something else that I'm in a unique position. Uh, when they hired me, uh, my actual like office with the door on it in, in DC where I can go, uh, well, normal times I can go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't been there in eight months now, but uh, the 
the ability to come back and be within a couple hours drive of almost half of our members yeah. is, is pretty wild. And so when, they, when I joined, they said, hey, do you have any interest in moving to D.C.? And I said, no, why, why would you want me to move to D.C.? It's the, uh, I'm out here uh, amidst everybody who's actually making things in the middle of the country. And so we've actually, one of the things I love is that our diversity of where people sit in our organization has changed dramatically. We have about 175 people now, and um, almost half of them are not in an office in D.C. Um, they're out uh, amidst the country, and that's so vital to be able to, um, to, to drive down the street uh, to manufacturers that I have right here in my neighborhood. I live in an urban neighborhood in the city of Cleveland, and there are a dozen manufacturers that are within 10 blocks. Um, and that's wonderful, and that's something that we need to continue to tell them the story of. Yeah, to have some to have some boots on the ground is is yeah. so important in the areas that you're working in. Um, yeah. yeah, talk to that's a good transition. Talk to us about the last eight months or so, and and how the work um, that you guys are doing has needed to change. Specifically, referencing the the creators respond that that was uh, super awesome yeah. to read about. Sure. So um, the pandemic obviously is a once in a lifetime challenge. It's something that we know the last time this came around was in the 19 teens. And so um, looking at the opportunity really as that, not as a, uh, not as an un, uh, unoverhumble challenge, but how do we look at it as a chance to really make a difference? And so um, our CEO, Jay Timmons, loves to talk about the, um, the way that manufacturers responded during World War II. And so starting in the late 30s and into the early 40s, um, you get everything from people who were pumping out war goods that they wouldn't be able to make, typically that they went from making cars to making tanks, um, but also the, the Rosie the Riveter stories. It's people who were literally leaving the, leaving the home life to be able to go in and make uh, bullet shell casings. Yep. So we look back with such a fondness on that era of manufacturing in America that, uh, that the, the, the hidden army uh, of manufacturers were the ones who were really helping the people that were overseas. The pandemic really was that, again, it was the chance to be able to jump into almost a warlike mindset from, um, uh, from a manufacturing sector, but also for the NAM um, to be able to think of, okay, now we have this invisible enemy. Um, that we collectively need to work together to be able to defeat. And we have to move now. And so to be able to see the entire sector shift just completely on a pinhead uh, from making what they were making to making masks and to making respirators and to, uh, to working on gowns and to working on shoe booties, to working whatever it was, uh, to be able to come together and uh, to be at center point in that response was really, uh, really an amazing time. That's one of those stories that uh, hopefully if I'm, I'm blessed with grandkids some days, th those are the stories I want to tell because the ability of a sector to come together to, to, to literally put America back on track. Uh, really was an, an amazing opportunity. We still have a long way to go. And, and I'm not implying whatsoever that we're, we're over it. In fact, it's getting worse. But the supply chain now is positioned to respond in a way that it wasn't positioned to respond eight months ago. Uh, a lot of that, I think, is from the NAM working directly with the White House on the coronavirus response uh, task force. But a lot of that is also the credit to our members. I mean, we're able to go from uh, making cars, literally, uh, to making respirators. Uh, wow. Just overnight, and to have those conversations um, with, with folks was really a, a meaningful opportunity. Uh, there were lots of lots of Sunday evenings working on spreadsheets uh, at my house, and uh, and that paid off in the fact that we were able to get um, millions and millions of pieces of PPE distributed to where they needed to be, to get respirators where they needed to be, and ultimately to uh, to get the country back to work. I think that's that's the other vital part of the coronavirus uh, response is that manufacturing was an essential industry. 
Um, we fought to make sure every single manufacturer in our membership was designated as essential because it, it's, it's what makes America go. We still needed the ability to make housing products because there were still houses that were being damaged in storms. Yep. We still needed the ability to make shoes because people need shoes, right? It's, it's amazing that it wasn't a what's vital and what's not vital. It's a everything that we do in manufacturing is vital in some way supply chain. And so we have to figure out what we can do to make it safe, not what we can do to shut it down. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Where do you think the industry is now? In I know you mentioned, obviously, they were able to pivot very quickly. Are they starting to get back to normal? And what I mean by normal is what they regularly produce? Or is it like a split of still maybe doing some PPE um, versus their normal, um, what they produce? Yeah, I, so I think that um, it's, it's a little yes and. So um, the, the stockpiles of things we were able to build up in the April, May, June range, um, I think build in a lot of slack in the rope. So a lot of ability for us to be able to have those products on stand for people to go back to what they were doing. But it's also knowing that they can switch right away or many of them have gone on to make innovative new versions of, of what it is. There's a um, company I'll call out called J-Bill uh, who is in, uh, based in the South. Uh, they went uh, off and made uh, one of the first completely American-made and American-assembled uh, uh, mask products. Most of our masks, most of our PPE came from China. Um, they said we can be able to, uh, we can shorten that supply chain and we can do it in a price-competitive way. And so being able to work with them to produce millions a day, which is wild when you think about that number, um, millions a day of these masks that they're able to get around the country um, to where PPE shortages in hospitals isn't something we're worried about anymore. Um, and so we, we certainly want everybody to do their part to contribute, but it's also vital for companies to continue to make money. And I think that that's something that's gotten lost in the, the altruism of the, uh, the coronavirus response. That's very important. So many companies and so many people have donated so many things, but ultimately we need people to buy things too, because buying things is what continues to allow the manufacturing economy to grow, um, which every dollar in manufacturing results in something like $1.71 back into the economy. Uh, it is the highest margin when you look at the, the dollar spent of any, uh, any industrial, or I'm sorry, sorry, any industry, any sector of manufacturing dollar goes further than anything else in a community. And so uh, we have to keep the engine running. We have to keep uh, people employed uh, and people with uh, income in their pockets to be able to help communities, small and large, uh, continue to thrive. Yep, without a doubt. Um, okay, so obviously the past few months uh, have been tough for a variety of reasons, but we have seen civil unrest in this country like we haven't seen in decades. Uh, tell us more about what the NAM is doing and specifically the Pledge for Action and how important that work is moving forward specifically in the manufacturing space. Sure. So the Pledge for Action was uh, put out by our board leadership and ultimately adopted by uh, the vast majority of our members. Really a commitment to, uh, we as a manufacturing sector will continue to look at diversity and inclusion as very vital to what we do. Um, the, the manufacturing industry, again, back to the World War II example, um, the ability of women to come into the workforce uh, was really a, a change point uh, for what the industry could be. But so many of those women went back home after the men came home and didn't have those opportunities to be, continue to contribute. That was a mistake. I think we as, a, we as an industry realized that um, we still have the biggest gender gap of any industry uh, that's out there. It's something like 23% of women, or 23% of our employees are women. Um, that's a 
incredible gaps. So not only do we need to look at racial diversity, we have to look at gender diversity as something we need to narrow. Um, we need, as part of our Creators uh, Wanted Creators Respond program, um, there are going to be 4.6 million manufacturing jobs available uh, in the next 10 years. And we only have about 2.2 million bodies that are going to be ready to fill it with our current, uh, our current opportunities. We need to find 2.5 million ready, willing, able people that are want to work. That's why it's been so important for us to say, let's start looking at populations that we haven't actively sought out before. Um, we were one of the first associations to come out very, very strongly in favor of immigration reform as a pipeline to employment. Uh, we have been very big on this, uh, this call to action uh, initiative to be able to look at um, the city. Let's look at places where people that didn't traditionally work in manufacturing, what are the limitations to them being able to do the manufacturing job? Is it transportation, is it healthcare, is it childcare, whatever it is, um, to be able to increase the gender diversity and the racial diversity of the makeup of our uh, employer sector. And uh, there's, there's something, uh, romantic is probably the wrong word, but I think you'll know where I'm going for, about um, five people working next to each other on a line to produce a good. Um, there's something, there's an egalitarian nature of it that uh, the, the, the color and gender don't matter ultimately uh, when you're working together for this bigger common goal. And so something that, again, we learned in the 40s, we need to relearn in 2020. Uh, and I'm proud that the NAM and Bay Timmons is really leading the way uh, on the commitment to our industry and the commitment to the country to get more people involved. That's great. Yeah, obviously such an important topic and something that uh, every industry is going to have to put actual steps and action plans towards uh, moving yeah. forward. But uh, switching gears a little bit, um, I want to talk about reshoring. Um, obviously a hot topic and something that has become even more relevant with the supply chain issues we have faced due to COVID. Um, tell us about what reshoring is, first of all, and the sure. timeline it takes to accomplish meaningful change on this front. Sure. So um, reshoring as a concept, it's uh, bringing uh, the supply chain, narrowing the supply chain, or shortening the supply chain by bringing production of good or uh, assembly of good back to the United States to be able to take out extra layers in the chain. Um, uh, the NAM has an interesting relationship with this topic. Uh, we have many of our members uh, are American-based that make all of their products in America. Um, we have just as many members who may be American-based or internationally-based that make something overseas and bring it here as part of their uh, part of their usual supply chain. Um, we don't see it as one is better than the other. We see it as both is vital to the future of the United States and the future of the, the world, the global economy, um, is the ability to make things where it makes sense to ship them where, where they're needed. Um, and so COVID has provided a really unique uh, look at what reshoring really means in terms of uh, vital national security things like EPE. It's where a mask coming from. Um, I think there was a new visibility that, hey, if all of our PPEs come back, there's an issue in China, what happens? Um, we've been able to overcome some of those challenges and I think really put on the radar for the next administration um, how important it is to have a supply chain for those vital national security goods. Um, that said, uh, we also need to look at uh, how do we uh, drive efficiency in the supply chain um, using new digital technology. Uh, manufacturing 4.0 is a, is a term you hear a lot. Um, it's how do we look at using the digital uh, communication technology we have, tracking technology we have to be able to make our supply chains smarter. Um, be it overseas, be it here in the United States, um, be it down the street, 
what can we do to uh, to right size and right time our uh, production and our delivery uh, to to drive efficiency back into the market? And so um, I think the uh, the timeline question it really is going to depend on a sub industry. It's really going to depend on uh, what the ultimate uh, the ultimate objective is. But I think smarter is the way to look at it. Not faster necessarily, not cheaper necessarily. It's the how do we use what we can do smarter. Uh, to be able to deliver more value back to uh, back shores, back to companies, and, and ultimately to the consumer at the end of the day that is uh, they, taking the product. Got it. Okay. Um, we I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, legislation and how that specifically impacts manufacturers, both in Ohio and nationally. What are some issues that the NAM is focused on right now, and, and how are those issues progressing? Sure. Um, tax reform was certainly something that we were working on for decades, uh, 40 some years, uh, to really to look at comprehensive tax reform and to look at the, uh, the change in the corporate tax rate to be able to free up money to be able to drive the manufacturing economy. Um, that's something that happened in, in the end of 2017. Uh, and the NAM was a vital part of getting that change in place, but also a vital part of uh, pushing to keep that change in place. And it's something with the new administration that I know that we will be very uh, driven on is making sure that the uh, the manufacturers in our network uh, have the ability to continue to pay a competitive rate compared to the rest of the world. Um, the, the other things that come to mind, obviously diversity and inclusion, health and safety, certainly we kind of talked about both of those already, uh, but also the regulatory environment. Uh, the EM is strong believers that manufacturers are the best regulators of themselves. Um, we know that there are certain environmental regulations and standards we want to work towards. But if you look at the best companies in the world, if you look at Dow Chemical and you look at the standards they hold themselves to, um, they're, uh, it's incredible when you, I don't think the average consumer in America realizes the high standards that a Fortune 500 manufacturer holds themselves to when it comes to the environment, when it comes to health and safety, when it comes to uh, putting out quality goods, when it comes to um, the, uh, working uh, with a supply chain that's, that's at all. Um, and so the, the government is vital to, uh, to drive certain, some of those baseline regulations. Um, but the more that we can allow uh, manufacturers to be able to control those dials and to be part of that conversation, that's that's ultimately the biggest deal. As opposed to the government and somebody who's never set foot on a manufacturing floor setting a number, let's let them work with the manufacturers that are out there, figure out what a number should really look like and why. Um, because regulating the wrong things or regulating uh, the something that ultimately is a numerically interesting but it's meaningless in the production, we're, we're wasting everybody's time. Uh, we have to do regulations in a way that, that it makes sense and regulations in a way that it's, uh, that it's enforceable and regulations in a way that the industry agrees uh, that there is a, a bigger goal in mind of safety, health, whatever it may be, but it's doing that in a way that we can uh, still be a productive con contributing members of society. There are bad actors, and I'm not pretending for a moment that there's not bad actors. Uh, there are bad actors globally. And we've seen that when you look at the small levels, especially in industrialized countries around the world, uh, in, in India, in China, in Brazil, that are very, very scary when you look at the industrial records. However, in the United States, um, we have some of the best manufacturers in the world, and we think government should be, do a good job of listening to those manufacturers and not the other. Yep, absolutely. Super important. I want to reference uh, something that you talked about earlier about 4.6 million jobs you're looking to fill by what was the year? 
uh, within the next 10 years by, by 2030. Yep. By 2030. And right now you said you only have around 2.2 ready bodies. Yeah. To fill and, that. How, how are you going to fill that gap is, is the so, question. So we've, uh, we've launched a program called Creators Wanted um, that ultimately became Creators Respond during the pandemic. And now we're going back to that Creators Wanted branding. We have to do a better job of educating people about the opportunities in manufacturing. So through things like Manufacturing Day. Um, we also have to look at, at other pipelines. We have our, our STEP initiative uh, that focuses on getting women, more women into manufacturing, and more women into leadership roles in manufacturing. Um, we have our uh, Heroes Make America program, which is focused on veterans that are transitioning out of the military uh, after their service is complete. Um, they get several months at the end of their tours of duty to be able to do on-the-job training uh, or to be able to do uh, learning models, be able to come into the, to the um, business society, to go into the private sector. Um, we have really stepped up our opportunities at uh, currently four, um, soon to be 10 bases around the country to help transition those people out with the right skills to go into a manufacturing role. So what can we teach them on the certifications and skills side that prepares them to go to whatever manufacturer needs help? Um, and so we're, we're really working on those active pipelines to do it. Ultimately, we just have to change the national conversation. I mean, decisions are made around the dinner table. Um, to be able to drive manufacturing, uh, we have to convince mom and dad um, that Susie and Johnny going into manufacturing is good for the family, it's good for the community, it's good for the country. Um, that's not to say that there's not other important job tracks. We're not trying to take away people that are going to be teachers. We're not trying to take away people who are going to, uh, to go and be scientists. We're not trying to take away nurses and doctors. We, what we want to do, though, is um, those people that aren't quite sure what to do, it's how do we turn them from, I'll get a job at the mall because I know that they're hiring, to I'm going to get a job paying three times as much down the street at a manufacturing company. Uh, and so it's, it's just changing that mindset from, again, dark, dirty, dangerous, to the modern, clean, safe environments that we really have created in the manufacturing sector. So okay. Creators Wanted was intended to be a, um, a year-long tour or a six-month tour leading up to a, uh, a festival in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where the NAM was founded yeah. in 1895 uh, to celebrate our 125th anniversary. Uh, obviously, COVID had other plans, and so we scrapped it. But we have this great triple-wide uh, trailer uh, in a garage in Texas right now that's ready to go on the road when we have the ability to go and do it, to travel around the country and to tell the story of modern manufacturing in a five-room interactive uh, environment in the trailer and then uh, setups outside of that trailer uh, to allow people at schools and state fairs and trade shows and uh, concerts. And it was supposed to be the political conventions and uh, on and on and on. How do we take the story of manufacturing to people who wouldn't typically see it in a way that is engaging and tactile enough that they're able to do something with that information? Got it. Awesome. Well, switching gears just a little bit, and then we'll uh, we'll get you out of here. But you were recently named Crane's Cleveland Business 40 Under 40, uh, yeah. you know, one of the members there, and, and obviously a tremendous accomplishment. What are some of your proudest moments thus far in your career? Yeah, I appreciate uh, that question. I, I think um, the resiliency of my career is the thing I'm most proud of when I get the chance to speak at, uh, at career days. Um, it's uh, having, thinking I was coming out of grad school with a uh, big contract with a big consulting company and really looking at that or uh, coming out with a big law firm job uh, and then having the economy make another plan. Um, the, the, the fall of my last year of grad school is when everything fell apart. And um, so the ability to 
really, really search hard and find a job that was going to work for me uh, and the ability to learn on the job uh, at, at the marketing agency that, that I was working at. And so um, I think that, and then also weathering the storm of the last, uh, the last year. Um, it's, it's been the most stressful <laughs> and the most demanding and most rewarding opportunity that I've had to be a part of this. Uh, I unfortunately got really sick in April. So I had, I had COVID in April, oh, wow. uh, spent multiple trips to the hospital, spent almost three weeks uh, in my bed, couldn't move. Wow. And it was, it was devastating. And so the ability to work with an incredible team of people that were able to pick up and go, yeah. uh, but also the ability of, uh, to, to, to know that it was important for me to get back in the saddle. Um, because of the opportunity we had as an industry to be able to help drive things in the country. And so uh, I remember the first time I went to the hospital uh, working with one of our, uh, one of our members who really wanted to connect the dots. And so um, to deliver masks to a hospital that was struggling for a shortage of masks and that were donated, that may very well have been the mask that was given to the nurse and the doctor that helped save my life. Yep. Uh, and that's, that's the power of manufacturing at work. It's the, connecting those dots between uh, people, things, uh, things people need and the people who need them. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I love it. I, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and resiliency, I think is something we've all had to uh, figure out over the last, not only, you know, multiple years, but uh, the past eight months for sure. Um, okay. We'll get you out of here on a fun one. We'd love to highlight local businesses and restaurants. Tell us what is your favorite Cleveland restaurant or perhaps since COVID hit, you know, your, your preferred takeout option. Sure. So uh, we are very spoiled for restaurants. So we live in Ohio City. Uh, we've lived here for 10 years. We like to, to like say before it was cool. Uh, my wife and I have been very involved in Ohio City Incorporated and uh, getting, the, getting the neighborhood on the map and really helping to, uh, to create what's here. So I, I got to go with some local favorites. Um, Ohio City Pizza is a, uh, owned by Catholic Charities uh, here in Cleveland. It is a nonprofit pizza parlor that puts people back to work. Uh, and then donates all of their profits back into their social programming. And so uh, not only do they have delicious food, they've got an awesome mission. So uh, we're pretty good for that. Uh, and then um, at the end of the day, I, uh, I, I am a Cleveland beer fan. And so the ability to have uh, Market Garden Brewery and Great Lakes and uh, Platform and Hansa House and all of those great local breweries here that I can literally hit with my nine iron uh, it's really incredible. It's a, it's a dangerous for the waistline, but it's an incredible opportunity for, uh, uh, the ability to get out and about. And so, uh, Bookhouse Brewing is one of my favorites that, uh, during the pandemic, they've been doing deliveries of their, uh, their hot pretzels and dessert pretzels, which is awesome, but also their, their big cans of beer, uh, from right down the street. And so we've really, uh, really enjoyed, uh, that as an opportunity to, to be involved. Uh, here in the community and continue to get back to those local businesses that are, that are keeping people going. And so uh, we are, again, spoiled. We know that we're spoiled because we love walking places. And so the pandemic, if anything else, uh, I have put less miles on my car than ever yep. in my adult life this year. And that's because I have the ability to walk to everything I could ever want uh, and pick up things and support local businesses and come back home to the family. That's awesome. So I actually will be up in Cleveland this weekend. So I'll have to at least check off one or, or two of those spots for sure. Um, Perfect. Awesome. That's great. Well, Chris, thank you again so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, best of luck uh, in the remaining of 2020 and into 21. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking with you soon. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.